Take your Bibles and turn with me, if you will, please, to Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16. And I'm going to do something this morning I've not done since, I think, 1976, I believe it was. Uh, In 1976, I started using the New American Standard version of the Bible uh, to preach from. And then, as you know, I did that for many, many years. And a few years ago, switched over to the English Standard Version. Today, I'm going to read the text from the King James Version of the Bible. Now, you... (laughs) You may wonder why I would do that on my last sermon here at Grace Baptist Church. Well, the Bible I'm holding here has an inscription in the front of it. I inscribed it. I wrote it to myself. But it says, presented to me on my ordination on December the 13th, 1970. How many were not born in 1970? Yeah. Some of you that I thought were older than that. Uh, Maybe you weren't telling the truth. I don't know. By the East Aboga Baptist Church in East Aboga, Alabama. Uh, goodness, that's almost 50 years ago, folks. In December, 50 years since I was ordained the gospel ministry. Now, I want to tell you something. I was ordained too young. I've not ordained anybody that young in my 50 years of ministry. I've been involved in it. They've all been older. all been more seasoned. But that church had faith in me, I suppose, and I hope it was rightly placed. But anyway, I... I wanted to use this Bible this morning, even though I'll probably read the text and tell you what the New American Standard or the English Standard Version says about it, okay? So, but you'll get the idea. But in, in John, excuse me, in Matthew chapter 16, and I'll make all sorts of mistakes today, so just bear with me. Starting in verse 13, Matthew records these words. When Jesus came into the borders of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they said to him, Some say that thou art John the Baptist, and some Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He saith to them, But who do ye say that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father who is in heaven. And I say also unto thee, that thou art Peter, and upon this rock, the rock of that confession, the, rock, the truth of that confession, upon that, this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he charged, then charged he his disciples that they should tell no man that he was Jesus the Christ. I remember in 2016 going to the Holy Land, going to Israel, and going to Caesarea Philippi. And I mentioned this a few weeks ago in a sermon, but recognizing that we got on a bus early in the morning and drove about an hour and a half or so north to get away from what was the main area of Jerusalem and some some of the smaller towns there, and went all the way north up to Caesarea Philippi. And, And I remember thinking, why, I always thought that was just right outside of Jerusalem. 
I always thought they probably went for a day's walk or, or, or a few hours walk, just a few hours walk to get out there, maybe just a few minutes. But the truth of the matter is they went for a day's walk to get to Caesarea Philippi, to a place that was filled with idols and false gods and lies uh, galore. And there they were in, in the middle of, of uh, all of that. And, and Jesus turns to the disciples and says, who do people say I am? And he said, well, the, the disciples said, well, you know, some say you're John the Baptist. John the Baptist had been beheaded, if you recall, and was dead. And some are saying you're his reincarnation. Some say you're Elijah, and some say you're Jeremiah or, or one of the other prophets. And in other words, they all had an idea of who Jesus was. And all of those people that they said he might be were good people and important people in the history of Israel. But, but they all were less than what Jesus really was. And so he said, okay, they say I'm that. They say I'm a prophet, I'm a teacher, whatever. We live in a day that's the same way. We live in a day that we'll talk nice of Jesus and say, oh, Jesus was a great religious figure. He was a good teacher. He, he was a prophet. He spoke truth and, and as far as truth goes. And it was his truth. It may not be our truth, but he spoke some truth to that. But, but you know, he's just a, a good man, a good teacher, a prophet. And then Jesus turned to the disciples and said, well, that's all well and good, but who do you say I am? And immediately Peter, old, bold, brash Peter, said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. You are the Christ. You are the Messiah. You are the one that's been sent from God. You are God incarnate. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said to Peter, Peter, you didn't figure that out yourself. That's Haynes' paraphrase. Flesh and blood did not reveal that to you. In other words, you didn't get it yourself. It wasn't your flesh, your blood, your mind that figured that out. But our Father who is in heaven has revealed that to you. Yes, I am the Christ, the Son of the living God. And, and that's where we are today. We're in a day where everybody has an opinion about who Jesus is, and everybody thinks Jesus is okay, and everybody thinks Jesus is nice to talk about, and everybody thinks Jesus has something to say to somebody somewhere maybe, but they do not see him as he is, and that is the Son, the Messiah, the Savior, the Lord, the Sovereign of the living God. They say, you know, all these prophets and all are good. They're right here. They're all good people. But Jesus is exponentially, quantitatively greater and more than any of them ever would be. And the people of his day missed it. And the people of our day are missing it. That's why Grace Baptist exists. To declare, behold our God. To declare, holy, holy, holy. To declare, a mighty fortress is our God. And as we'll sing later, to declare that He will hold us fast. We're in His hands. We're not in our own hands. I've been asked a bunch over the last few weeks, what has it been like to be a pastor, full-time pastor since 1979? I won't ask you to raise your hands if you were born after that. But, but a full-time pastor since 1979, what's it been like? And, and I've always kind of had a little pat answer. I said, oh, it's been kind of like a roller coaster ride. You know, it's been up and down and around and over and, what is, you know, but, it, but it's been fun. I love roller coasters. If you know me very well, you know, until about 10 years ago, I'd go anywhere at any time to ride a roller coaster. Then I got too old for it. But anyway, that was my pat answer. It's been kind of like a roller coaster ride. And, and yes, uh, this past week, somebody asked me that, and, and a thought came to my mind that just kind of solidified it. It is like a roller coaster ride, and, and it has a lot of things about it. It's fun, it's scary, it's, it's heart throbbing. And I thought back to 
somewhere around 1989 or 1990, when my family was at uh, Six Flags Over Georgia in Atlanta. And we were there riding the rides, and I love roller coasters, and I'd ride them by myself every time we'd go. And this time, my middle child, who happens to be the only child that's not here today, and so I can pick on her, uh, she, uh, uh, she wanted to ride the Mindbender with me. The Mindbender was, at that time, the premier roller coaster. The steel roller coaster, you went up, you came down, you went straight down, you did twists and barrel turns and loops and everything else, and it was great. And Anna said, I want to ride that with you, Daddy. And I said, well, honey, we'll see. We'll see. I, I was thinking she wasn't quite tall enough. And we were all over the park. I want to ride the Mindbender, Daddy. I want to ride, okay, Anna, let's go see what we can do. So I went over there, and she stood up against the, the measuring stick, and sure enough, she was about an inch taller than was required, the minimal requirement to get on there. So she said, can I ride? I said, sure, you can ride with me. You're tall enough, they'll let you, you can ride with me. So we get on the line in the queue, and, and we start going through the line, and I'm watching her as she's watching that roller coaster go everywhere. And uh, I'm thinking, yeah, she's going to have second thoughts. When we get to the front of this line, she's going to say, Daddy, I don't think I want to do this. She didn't. So we got to the front of the line, and they put us in a car, and we're sitting there side by side, and, and, and I, they strap us in and put the harness over us and everything. And, and I look over at Anna, and she's ready. She's holding on, and she's looking straight ahead, not moving a muscle. And they start us up the hill. We're going up, clickety, 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 clickety. And I'm looking over at her, and she's just totally staring out in space. And we get to the top, and it lets us loose. And we go down and around and over these curves and through the rolls and over the loops and everything. And I'm looking over at her kind of out of the corner of my eye. And she, her eyes are like saucers, and she is utterly terrified, it appears. And, and we're going, and I'm going, oh, I I pray she doesn't try to jump out of this cart, you know. And, and we, we go through all of this, and we come to the end, and she hadn't moved a muscle, and I just, I, I'm, I'm wondering if we're going to have to get a, uh, somebody to help me get her out of the car when we get there. And we pull into, the, pull into the station, and we stop. She looks over, and she says, Daddy, can we do that again? <laughs> That's kind of like I feel today. It's been a roller coaster, and I'd almost like to say, hey, can't we do this again? There have been... Scary times during 40 years or so of ministry. There have been difficult times. There have been times when I've cried a lot and times when I've laughed a lot. Times when I've been in sheer terror and times when I've known just the peace of God in so many ways. And you've been a big part of that for the last 13 and a half years. I know we can't start it over again, but I'm praying that it just continues on. The roller coaster ride will be there, Todd. It will be a roller coaster ride, but it'll be a good one. And God is with you always. And that's what he's saying in this passage. He's saying, come to understand who I am and things will be right with you and right with God in everything you do. So 13 and a half years ago, we determined that Grace Baptist Church needed to be born. I say we determined it. That's a misnomer. God determined it long before we did, before the foundation of the world. Uh, when we came to Somerset, we, think, we came thinking there'd be one thing happening, and we realized God brought us here not for that thing, but for something else, something totally different. And for that, I'm grateful. I'm grateful that we could come together and, and worship together and, and try to build a church around some things that we felt were important because God says they're important. So I want to talk to you a minute about just some foundational issues, about what it means when Jesus says those words, Upon this rock, the confession of who he is, upon this rock, 
I will build my church and the gates of Hades or hell or however your version translates that, the gates of death will not prevail against it. I, I want you to think about what that means. Why is it that a church has to be a certain way for that statement to be true? Because it has to be built upon the rock of Jesus Christ as the Messiah and Lord and King. And, and so when we started 13 and a half years ago, almost to the day today, by the way, we started by thinking about some foundational issues of what Grace Baptist Church would be. Now, in the coming weeks, Pastor Todd is going to do a, a series of messages on the church and on grace and on those things that are out on our wall out there, those priorities and everything. But I want to talk to you about them sort of in retrospect and looking forward, looking back in order to look forward. Because forward is what really matters, folks. The, the, the forward, what God uses us to do in the years to come, is built on the foundation of the past, but it's what happens in the future that's really going to make a difference in our city, in our county, in our country, in our world, as God gives us the opportunity to impact for His, for His glory. So I want to talk to you about some foundational issues and some priorities, and then out of those priorities, I want to talk to you about one key factor. First of all, the foundational issues of Grace Baptist Church. We were built on the foundational issue that we must have a high view and an exalted view of God. That we live in a day where God's, the view of God has been lowered. And sadly, most churches, many churches all over the place, have become very man-centered, very me-centered. People come to church with the idea of what can I get? How can I be ministered to? How can I be blessed? However you want to word that, however you want to say it but they come with a very me-centered attitude. And that's never been the intent of the church. The church is not about you and it's not about me. It's about Him. It's about seeing Him in all His glory. It's about standing before Him and saying, Lord, I am here to ascribe to you worship and praise and glory. I'm here to say to you, I worship you. It must, there must be a high view, a high esteem of who God is. We actually act more like we're looking to an indulgent grandfather than we are to a sovereign father God. You know, my grandkids have been here all weekend. That's why I'm smiling so much today. Uh, and, and, you know, look, Henry can't ask for anything. Henry just sits there and smiles at me and we, at us and we melt. But, but Adeline can talk now. And, and Adeline would say, Granddaddy, I want this. And you know what? She got that. You know, that's just what grandfathers do. We're indulgent. And we kind of try to make God to look like a, an indulgent grandfather. He is not. He is a father who loves us so much that he doesn't indulge us. He's a God and a father that loves us so much that he doesn't give us everything we ask for and everything we think we need. In other words, what he does is, is I think it was Tim Keller that said it years ago, he said, when we pray, God gives us what we would ask for if we knew what he knew. Because we don't know what He knows. And so we seek to exalt Him. We seek to, to bring a fear of God and a love of God and a worship of God into the presence of the people that come here. Really, one of the tragedies is that we've lost the awesomeness of God in our day. We've lost the awesomeness of God. You, you know how I feel about the word awesome. You, you've heard me say it a billion times, at least in 13 and a half years. When we make everything awesome... God ain't, is the bottom line. When we have awesome cars and awesome food and awesome hamburgers and awesome this and awesome that, 
then everything's put on God's level. If we talk about, oh, that's awesome. No, only God is awesome. Only God is worthy of that title. Only God is worthy of that expression. And quite honestly, we've lost that in our day. God's just another one of those things that's fit, that fits into our life comfortably rather than carefully. So we've lost that. We, have to, we desire here more than anything else to lift up. Lift up the awesomeness of God and behold our God, high and exalted and lifted up, seated on His throne. Well, I, I could say a lot about that, but I'll go on. The second foundational issue of Grace Baptist has always been the absolute authority and sufficiency of the Scriptures. If God is highly exalted up, and if God has spoken, and He has in His Word, then His Word is all that we can go to to seek guidance. We don't seek guidance from human uh, management principles. We don't seek guidance from the latest psychological fad. We don't seek guidance from, from what somebody says it ought to be and, and we ought to be doing in order to attract a crowd. We seek guidance for what we are as a church from God's holy word and his word alone. That doesn't mean we don't have lights and air conditioning and a building and things of that nature, which are obviously not in the scripture, but, but those, are, those are here to help us focus on his word, to help us hear his word, to help us study his word together as we come together for the absolute authority and sufficiency of his word. You know this, because we've talked about it a bunch of times, right below this pulpit is a box encased in concrete and in that box that Chad Pierce built for us 13, uh, 14 years ago, that steel sealed box is a Bible. It was my favorite preaching Bible. I'm still asking myself why I put that Bible in that box. Any Bible would have done. But I put my favorite preaching Bible from the NASB in that box. And, and so you know I love you. It's in that box and it's open to Romans 1, 16 and 17 and highlighted. Right under this pulpit. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to the Jew first and then to the Greek. And by that, the righteousness of God is being revealed from faith to faith. That's the, to me, that's the center of the Bible. To me, that's the center. It's the gospel. And so we, we exalt the, the holiness of God. We exalt the the glory of God, we have an exalted view of God Himself, and we make the Scriptures, His Word, our absolute, supreme, sufficient authority. Out of that flows sound doctrine. We're not perfect in our doctrine. We've got errors in our doctrine. I know that. I have errors in my doctrine. But, but I don't know where they are. But when the Word of God reveals they're there, I will change those to conform to the Word of God. But, but we must have sound doctrine, teaching you know, some people say, well, doctrine, that's for, that's for pastors and for seminaries and for those who are really, uh, really somewhere up there, as though there is such a thing as somewhere up there. No, sound doctrine is for the people because that's just the teaching of God. The doctrine of God is theology, the study of God. The doctrine of the church is ecclesiology, the study of the church, the ecclesia. The, the, the study of last times is the study of, of ecclesiology, excuse me, of eschatology. I told you I was going to make some mistakes today. Uh, of eschatology, the eschaton, the end time. I mean, all that is doctrine. And it's worthy to be known and worthy to be studied. And it must be sound in everything that we present. 
So it has to be a high view of God, the absolute authority of Scripture, sound doctrine. And then there must be personal holiness. For the church to be the church that God will use in our community, in our city, and in our world. It must be a church that's characterized by personal holiness. It's not perfection. If it was, I couldn't be your pastor. It's not everybody has everything exactly right, but it is a group of people under the authority of Jesus Christ who seeks to know the revealed righteousness of God in their lives. A righteousness that is imputed to them at their salvation. I love that the, the, uh, Beth and, and Judy before the service, I hope you were listening, I hope you recognize it, played uh, clothed in the righteousness of Christ alone. Another one of my favorites. And, and they played that, and I just sang along with them in my heart. I was so joyously to hear it, because when we come to Christ, we are clothed in His righteousness. That is the imputed righteousness of Christ. But that imputed righteousness is not something that we say, okay, I've got the righteousness of Christ, and so now I'll go out and sin, so grace will abound all the more. Absolutely not, Paul said in Romans. But that imputed righteousness becomes sanctification, which becomes a practical righteousness which begins to work itself out in our life whereby we may never be perfect but we will always desire to be always want to be so those are our foundational issues the glory of god a high view of god the absolute authority of scripture the sound doctrine and personal holiness so if those are our foundational issues what are the priorities that lead us to see that, to lead us to know that. Well, they start with a very simple one that we're doing this morning. They start with worship. Worship is our number one priority around here. If we didn't do anything else, we would worship. We would gather together. I tell you what, those two months when we had to be shut down, and I preached at that camera back there only with about 10 other people scattered out through this building that I, I didn't want to look at, I just want to look at the camera. I, I was miserable because we weren't a gathered body worshiping. Now, were we worshiping? Yes, in a, in a less than optimal sort of way, but we were worshiping. But it's nothing like the body gathering together and encouraging one another by singing spiritual hymns and psalms and spiritual songs with one another and, and encouraging one another by that worship together as we don't look at each other, but we look to Him. Worship has been and will continue to be the priority at Grace Baptist Church. Second priority is preaching and teaching. Flowing out of that worship, of which preaching and teaching is a part. We didn't worship for the first 30 minutes and then I took over to preach and teach. They're all intertwined there. But preaching and teaching is a part of worship. And, and preaching and teaching is part of what comes from this pulpit and what goes on in those classrooms back there, if we ever get back to being able to have classrooms back there again. And it has to be built on that, it has to be built on those foundational issues. Who God is, what His Word says, sound doctrine, and personal holiness. So there's worship, there's preaching and teaching. And then third, there's a third and a fourth here, and I really had a hard time knowing which one to put which way, but I'm going to put it the way I have it written down because I did the first hour that way. And the third priority is, is evangelism and missions. Taking the gospel to this area and to this state 
and ultimately the uttermost parts of the world. That's why we go to Quebec. That's why we went to Peru for so many years. That's why we continue to minister with the church in Germany. That's why we, we see that. But it's also why we're concerned about the people that live here in Twin Lakes and Saddlebrook and all around us. It's why we are committed to taking the gospel where we go. Now, I know if you grew up Southern Baptist, you heard that that was the priority, that, that I've gotten them all wrong here today, but I contend to you that if you don't have worship as a priority and preaching and teaching as a second priority, then missions and evangelism will be hollow. I can show you that all over this state, all over this country. Churches that say, oh, we're just committed to missions and evangelism, and it becomes nothing more than a social gospel and doing good, which is all well and good, but there's no gospel there. There's no Christ-centeredness there. There's no seeing God for who He is. And when we lose that, when we miss that, we miss it all. So missions and evangelism is empowered by and strengthened by worship and preaching and teaching. The fourth priority, which I said could have been the third, is prayer. We have been and we must be a praying people. I think back to those days before Grace was born, when in homes all over this town, and, and even out in the county, uh, people were meeting together to pray for one thing, God, your will be done. They weren't asking a whole lot of personal things. They were just saying, Lord, we're, we're at loss to know what to do. We want your will to be done. And I remember people gathering on Sunday morning before services and, and just praying together that I didn't even know they were doing it. I remember walking around the building and praying uh, at 8 o'clock in the morning or 7.30 in the morning. I, I just remember that we were committed to prayer when we began. We've got to keep that as a priority, folks. We've got to continue to beseech Him and call upon Him yeah, we take our petitions to Him, but we take our petitions to Him in order to see Him work in our lives, be it through missions, evangelism, or whatever. Then there's the priority of discipleship and making disciples, of shepherding. I'm thankful that we have a body of deacons that aren't self-imposed board of directors. They don't, they don't direct. They don't call the shots. They don't administrate. They minister. They minister to those who are in need. They minister to those who are hurting. They care about those that are in their, if they're a Sunday school teacher or their Sunday school class, or if they have a deacon flock in their deacon flock, they care about them. And they cross over. They don't just care about that small group. I'm thankful to God that we have a group of men who want to be shepherding deacons, not, not controlling deacons. That's a great thing. You've got pastors that love you. And pastors who are committed to shepherding you in times of great need. And, and we've been through a lot as pastors with many of you. We've wept with you and, and we've prayed with you and we've hurt with you and we've grieved with you and we've rejoiced with you. And that cannot change. Because while we want to exalt Him ultimately and completely, we want to, by His love, reach out and grace, gracefully care for one another. We are in this. We are a body we are a covenant family together before the Lord Jesus Christ. We can go on and talk about giving. We can talk about building up families, which we seek to do. We can talk about fellowship, which is a part of worship, really, but it's a, it's a little more uh, 
loose together, being together. We can't do a lot of that right now. All of those are priorities of Grace Baptist Church, have been and will be. But I want to bring us back to Matthew for just a second. I want to bring us back to what Peter said. You are the Christ. Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said upon that confession, I will build my church. Folks, the real key that must be remembered has been, I hope, remembered for all these years, but must continue to be remembered, is that this church does not have a human head in Bill Haynes or Todd Meadows or any of the other pastors. This church is not based upon what we know and what we can do and how smart we are. If it were, we're in a mess. This church is the body of Christ gathered together in covenant relationship with Jesus Christ as the head. Jesus Christ as the source of life. Jesus Christ as the one who commands and directs. Jesus Christ who is the Lord and the Sovereign. Jesus said upon this confession, I'll build my church as long as we keep our eyes on Him. Walking with Him. Trusting in Him. Knowing that He loves you more than I love you. More than Todd will ever love you. More than you even could ever love yourself. He loves you and cares about you. And you've got to follow Him. You've got to trust Him. You've got to walk with Him. He is the head. He is the Savior. He is the Lord. He is the shepherd. He is the sovereign. He is the sanctifier. One who is shaping us and forming us into His image. I don't know how to stop this sermon. I'm like on a roller coaster. I just want to keep going and going and going, but I can't. I'm so glad that God has blessed me with you. And those who are here at 830 and those who can't be here yet. I'm so glad that he, he has given us this time together. There's a theme song about that, wasn't there? So glad we had this time together. I'm so glad. And I thank God for it. And I want you to know one thing. You must keep praying. You must keep looking to the head, Jesus Christ. You must keep confessing in all that you do. So here's how I'm going to end this sermon. I'm going to ask Pastor Todd and his family to come join me up here. And I'm going to ask Retta to come join me. She wasn't here in the first hour. She had a house full of folks. But she wants to, I want her up here with me because she's been in this with me all this 50 years, almost all of it. We only married 48. But um, I'm also, she can go and get that out of the way and then cry a little bit. While they're crying, if, uh, if the other pastors would come and join me up here behind them, the other pastors, and then uh, they were here in the first hour. Yeah, I see author back there, and where's Mark? There's Mark. If the chairman, Mark Fothergill, and vice chairman, Arthur Crawford of the deacons would come and join us up here. I want to pray for Todd and Stephanie and their family.
I want to pray for these pastors that will serve alongside him as pastors of this body. I, want to, I, I didn't want to have all the deacons up here. There wouldn't be room, but I want to have the chairman, the vice chairman of the deacons up here who minister and love you in so many ways. And I just want to pray for Todd and, uh, and Stephanie. So if you would, join me in prayer, would you? Father, I, I come before you right now and I thank you for the grace that you've given us. The grace that is in Jesus Christ and the grace that is this church. Father, I thank you that you have prepared Todd's heart and his mind and his spirit to move into this position of senior pastor for the days to come. Lord, I believe that he was chosen by you before the foundation of the world just as Grace Baptist was established by you before the foundation of the world. And Father, I pray you will keep him in your will. I pray, Lord, for him and for the other pastors that you will not let them be distracted. Don't let them look to the left or to the right. Don't let Satan entice them away from, the, from your truth or your, or your life. Lord, keep them firmly fixed upon Jesus. Let their eyes be fixed on Him. Let them seek the things above and not the things of this earth. Father, I pray your protection over their lives. Keep them from sin. They are humans as we are humans. And Lord, if they take their eyes off of you for a moment, sin is a potential reality. Guard them, O oh Lord. Protect them, O oh Lord. And Lord, use them in days to come for your glory. As we have sung, holy, 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 as we have sung, behold our God, as we have sung a mighty fortress, may those be the foundational truths of, of their ministry here. And Lord, as we're about to sing in a moment, you will hold us fast. Hold them fast, I pray. Thank you, Father. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.